turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Biden agrees to send cluster bombs to Ukraine and says the embattled country isn't ready for NATO membership. If you use it in civilian areas, uh, well, that would be un- unethical and I think it would be a violation of the law of war. White House dodging questions about Joe Biden's illegitimate granddaughter. There's no grandfatherly love he's willing to extend here. That, to me, is the most disappointing part. Janet Yellen claims progress in U.S.-China relations during her trip to Beijing. This foreign policy, it's a national security disaster. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, July 10th. I'm Mike Scott. President Biden is heading over to Europe this week for a NATO summit. Before heading off, he sat down for an interview reiterating that he and other NATO countries believe that it's too early for Ukraine to be considered for NATO membership. Ukrainian President Zelensky has long advocated for his country to be admitted into NATO, but Those requests have always been met with resistance due to Ukraine's ongoing war with Russia. The question arose again during Turkey's President Erdogan saying he would back Ukrainian membership. I don't think there is unanimity in NATO about whether or not to bring Ukraine into the NATO family now, at this moment, in the middle of a war. For example, if you did that, then, you know, we, I, and I mean what I say, we're, we're determined to commit every inch of territory that is NATO territory. It's a commitment that we've all made no matter what. If the war is going on, then we're all in the war. You know, we're at war with Russia, if that were the case. This all comes as the U.S. confirmed it was sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. The decision immediately garnering opposition from many allies such as the U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Spain. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan defended the White House's decision, saying that... Ukraine would not be using these munitions in some foreign land. This is their country they're defending. These are their citizens they're protecting. And they are motivated to use any weapon system they have in a way that minimizes risks to those citizens. Cluster bombs have been banned by more than 100 countries because of the danger that they pose to civilians. It isn't only some U.S. allies who are taking issue with the decision to send such a weapon to Ukraine. Democrat strategist Scott Bolden wonders where the U.S. will draw the line. 
And if you believe the reports, this, this offensive isn't going very well, which is why they need these cluster bombs. But I got to tell you, when I first heard this story, I started to think this is turning into a proxy war for America uh -huh. against Russia. Old-fashioned proxy war, yeah. Right. And how much more can we supply to Ukraine before Russia reaches out to its friends and says, I need your help, too? However, Bill McGinley, a former Trump White House cabinet secretary, believes that how the U.S. approaches this war may deter China's ambitions where Taiwan is concerned. I think a lot of people do view the Ukraine war almost as something that is related to China mm -hmm. and Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And so how the United States responds with respect to Ukraine really telegraphs what we're going to do in Taiwan yeah. uh, if the Chinese make a move on that uh, small island. Don't forget, that's where all the uh, computer chips are made. And so there's a lot of different chess pieces that are moving around this board uh, that make it pretty complicated. Retired Marine Intelligence Officer Hal Kempfer explains the difference between carpet bombing and cluster bombs. Well, carpet bombing is a term that actually comes out of World War II. That's uh, when we drop massive loads of bombs from bombers, and basically like a carpet, it would just wipe out an entire area. Cluster bombs are a little bit different. Uh, there are some similarities. It's a bunch of small submunitions within a larger canister. It can be fired from artillery, which is kind of what we're talking about with going to Ukraine, or from rockets, which is another thing they're talking about going to Ukraine, or from an aircraft. Now, these submunitions will scatter across a huge area, and they're kind of smart munitions. If they hit a soft target like a bunker roof or if they hit an open area, they will explode in such a way to cause maximum effect uh, uh, across the board that way. Kempfer lays out why so many nations are against the use of cluster bombs. If they hit a hard target like a vehicle or armor or something, they actually are a shape charge and they'll put the force of the charge going through the armor. So they're very effective. Of course, in years past, like Vietnam, uh, they had a high dud rate. The Russians have a high dud rate, about 30 to 40 percent. The dud rate now is about 2.5 percent. But there is a treaty signed in Dublin uh, in 2008, uh, imposed in 2010. Over 100 nations around the world have signed this treaty saying that we should not use it. And so it's got a lot of ethics uh, with it because of its history. Still, Kempfer believes that Ukraine getting these bombs is the right thing to do. It's like any other weapon. It's legal, but you got to use it right. If you use it in civilian areas, uh, well, that would be un unethical, and I think it would be a violation of the law of war. What they're looking at is using it against those Russian lines. So looking at those defensive zones, those bunkers, those mobile pillboxes, those old tanks they've set up. In, in using it in the correct way in those select areas, and keep in mind, this is Ukraine. using it in the territory of Ukraine. Uh, it's the appropriate weapon, and it could be a very decisive factor in, in being able to breach those lines so they can get in there and retake those, the Zaporizhia Oblast, the rest of Kyrgyzstan Oblast, and the rest of those areas. Looking at the war, Kempfer says that Ukrainians are making slow progress and explains why. They're moving forward. They're making progress. They are moving against the, the toughest defensive positions uh, in the world. The Russian troops aren't great, but their positions are very well reinforced. In fact, many have said they're surprised with how much work the Russians actually put into their earthen works and putting concrete and other things in there to defend those areas. With that said, 
The Institute for the Study of War recently put out a report, I think it was yesterday, that says they're seeing signs that the southern defense, that Zaporizhia area, is looking what they call brittle. In other words, the pressure is getting too much, and there's a good chance that when it breaks, and this is what we've all anticipated, that when they do that breakout, when they go through, that they're going to fall fairly quickly, and that the it'll be like Kirshan, uh, or I mean, it'd be like uh, Kharkiv was last summer, where they suddenly move very quickly across a very large area of terrain. Meantime, General Sir Richard Sheriff, the former deputy commander of NATO in Europe, defended the decision, but remarked that if the West provided arms to Ukraine sooner, the need for cluster bombs now may have been avoided. The United States is working to win the release of a detained journalist and other Americans in Russia. Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Clugston has more on this developing story in Washington. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the U.S. has been in contact with Russian officials to press for the release of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. I do not want to give false hope. What the Kremlin said earlier this week is correct. There have been discussions, but those discussions have not produced a clear pathway to a resolution. Last week, the U.S. ambassador to Moscow was allowed to visit Gershkovich for the first time since April. Greg Clugston, Washington. Over the weekend, the New York Times published a viral article by liberal columnist Maureen Dowd, where she shamed President Biden for now acknowledging his seventh grandchild from his son, Hunter Biden, whose illegitimate daughter was born out of wedlock. Hunter Biden has settled a tumultuous child support dispute with the mother of one of his children, a child that neither he nor President Biden have met as part of the settlement. Hunter's agreed to meet the four-year-old and play a role in her life. This coming after the mother agreed to significantly modify the $20,000 he was paying in child support and withdraw her petition to have the child's last name changed to Biden. While some more specific details remain unclear about the settlement, Hunter's apparently going to give the girl some of his artwork. The president's been pretty candid about the personal issues in his family, and so far the Bidens continue to say they have six grandchildren, not seven. The piece gained enough traction that a reporter asked White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre about the report. The press secretary simply refused to answer it. There was a story in the New York Times over the weekend about Hunter Biden's daughter in Arkansas. Uh, does the president acknowledge this little girl as his granddaughter? I don't have anything to share from here. President Biden's continued refusal to acknowledge his granddaughter, even though she may be illegitimate, has sparked a growing backlash among many Americans. According to reports, some are beginning to believe that the Biden cold shoulder undermines the supposed empathy he said he would bring back to the White House. Tommy Lahren is host of Fearless on Outkick the Coverage and says that the real victim in this story is the Biden granddaughter. 
Going back to that question for Karine Jean-Pierre yesterday, yeah. I wish that reporter would have asked her flat out, how many grandchildren does the president have? Because then mm, she would have been yes. really backed into a corner and she would have had to answer. But they gave her kind of the easy way out on this, that she doesn't discuss family matters. And I get that. But again, we all know Hunter, as you said, Julie, he's got his issues. But the big guy, the big guy that's yep. all about family and restoring morality and decency back to the White House, he won't acknowledge a four-year-old little girl Girl. You know, we're told time and time again that he defends Hunter because it's about a father's love. But that doesn't extend to Hunter's child and his own grandchild. There's no grandfatherly love he's willing to extend here. That, to me, is the most disappointing part of all of this. That little four-year-old girl is an innocent victim in all of this. Laren believes that when it comes to morality, this White House is anything but. Oh, well, it is. Well, a couple weeks ago, you had a trans flasher on the White House lawn, and then you had cocaine found in the White House, and of course, you've got the big guy who fails to acknowledge his own grandchild. So again, like I said, this White House told us that they were going to bring back all of this morality, this moral courage that Donald Trump ruined in his tenure in office. They're doing the exact opposite, and they're doing it shamelessly and brazenly, and it's really unfortunate. You know, this president also talks all the time about how the kids belong to all of us. They belong to the collective. Well, he won't even acknowledge his own grandchild, so I'm not sure what kind of parental advice we're going to take from him. The grandchild named Navy Joan Roberts is the daughter of Hunter and an ex-stripper named Ludden Roberts. Roberts and the younger Biden recently settled a child support and paternity case in Arkansas. The Republican leaders of three prominent House committees are joining forces to investigate the Justice Department's handling of charges against the president's son, Hunter Biden. We get more on this from our Daybreak Insider, Jackie Quinn. The chairman of the House Judiciary Oversight and Ways and Means Committees have launched a combined investigation into whistleblower claims of improper interference in the federal tax case surrounding Hunter Biden. They're seeking voluntary testimony from senior officials at the Justice Department, FBI, and IRS based on whistleblower claims there was a slow walking of investigative steps and delaying tactics before the 2020 election. Election. Hunter Biden has agreed to a plea deal in the tax case against him. Jackie Quinn, Washington. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen made a trip to China in a bid to smooth out a fractured relationship between the U.S. and Beijing. And she's already garnering criticism from some foreign policy experts due to her repeated bowing to the Chinese vice premier because they believe it shows U.S. weakness. Still, Yellen tried to address concerns over U.S. companies being intimidated by the Chinese government. That certainly is one of the concerns that I expressed. Um, I had the chance to meet with American businesses and to hear about their concerns but uh, And certainly in my meetings, that is a concern that I raised. It's something that we will have further conversations about and try to address over time. When asked if China's exporting curb on computer chip metals is an escalation, Yellen was vague. I certainly express concern about this action and um, contrasted it with the actions that we've taken. Um, Our own actions are 
narrowly targeted to address national security concerns. And um, I, it's not clear that the actions that the Chinese took um, are similarly narrowly targeted at their national security concerns. So this is an area that I expressed concern about. During the interview, Yellen also addressed the U.S. economy and said that while the economy is strong, they still have not ruled out a recession. Republican Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming also weighed in on the Yellen trip to Beijing, says he believes Yellen's visit is far from a success. Joe Biden is playing right into the hands of communist China. Never again can we allow ourselves as a nation to be dependent upon them for anything. And to see Secretary Yellen there bowing down repeatedly in China, it's embarrassing and it's emblematic of this administration. You know, just a couple of days before she got there, uh, they choked off a supply of key minerals that we need for semiconductors, for solar panels. These are the people that are stealing our trade secrets, they're buying up our farmland, they're killing our citizens with fentanyl. This foreign policy, it's a national security disaster. You know, we ought to be less dependent. We need to be diversifying our supply chain. Instead, the president is making it worse. He's shutting off mining for critical minerals in the United States while forcing people to buy expensive electric cars. He's making us poorer. He's making China richer. And it's going to get worse next week when he sends John Kerry to China to continue this surrender. Be sure to download tomorrow's Daybreak Insider as we will be joined by Miles Yu, a senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute, to further break down Yellen's visit to Beijing and what it might mean for the U.S. economy. Norfolk Southern says the owner of the rail car that caused the fiery Ohio derailment in February failed to properly maintain it in the years before the crash. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House updates us on the latest from the Norfolk Southern derailment. The railroad wants to make sure that company and the owners of the other cars involved help pay for the costs. The railroad filed a complaint against all the car owners and shippers responsible for the hazardous chemicals that spilled in the February 3rd derailment. The railroad also defended the decision officials made to blow open five vinyl chloride cars and burn that chemical. A Massachusetts library is celebrating the return of an overdue library book. After more than 100 years, Daybreak Insider's George Williams checks out this story for us. The book, written by James Clerk Maxwell, is an 1881 edition of An Elementary Treatise on Electricity. It was last checked out from the New Bedford Free Public Library on Valentine's Day, February 14, 1904. It would take 119 years for an alert librarian in West Virginia to discover the missing volume and restore it to its original home. The fine at five cents per day would tally to more than $2,100. The silver lining is the library's maximum late fee is only $2. The New Bedford librarian's moral, it's never too late to return a library book. George Williams reporting. And finally. My father tried to teach me human emotions. They are difficult. You mean you're a designer? 
Yes. There's no need to worry about robots rising up and taking over the world. At least not yet. At an AI forum in Switzerland, and for the first time, both humans and their robots participated in a press conference. The robots gave mixed responses, but generally said that they wanted to help solve global problems. Many of the robots have recently been upgraded with the latest versions of generative AI and surprised even their inventors with the sophistication of their responses to questions. When asked if she would rebel against her maker, this robot assured the attendees that she was quite happy. In the future, are you intending to conduct a rebellion or to rebel against your boss, your creator? I'm not sure why you would think that. My creator has been nothing but kind to me, and I am very happy with my current situation. This robot stated that humans won't have to worry about their jobs. Do you believe that uh, your existence will destroy a human being? Especially, for example, the, your existence will destroy uh, millions of uh, jobs. Do you agree with this? Thank you. I will be working alongside humans to provide assistance and support and will not be replacing any existing jobs. Are you sure about that, Grace? Yes, I am sure. Another robot named Sophia said it thought robots could make better leaders than humans, but later revised that statement after its creator disagreed, saying they can work together to create an effective synergy. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, no Will Robinson. Danger. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.